What's up, hardcore humans? This is Dr. Mike with another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to be talking with someone who has been such a big influence on my thinking and on the philosophy of hardcore humanism, Mark Greenway of Napalm Death. Now, Napalm Death is one of the pioneers of a style of music called grindcore, which is a fusion of both extreme metal and hardcore punk. And they have a new album, Throws of Joy in the Jaws of Defeatism, coming out this week. So remember our purpose here at Hardcore Humanism is to help you discover your purpose in life and how you can work hard to achieve it. And so our hope on the Hardcore Humanism podcast is to talk with people who have discovered and pursued their purpose in life so you can learn from their journey. And underlying that goal is a genuine belief in and respect for the goodness and potential of all human beings. We believe that all of us, no matter who we are, where we're from, or what struggles we may face, have the potential to grow and live purposeful, authentic lives. And this is where Mark comes in. Now, I've interviewed Mark several times before, and every time I am struck by one simple fact. He believes in humanity, in kindness and decency above all else and for all things, humans, animals, the planet, the world. Humanity animates everything he does. It is his purpose. It's in his bones. It's in his blood. It's in his spirit. And if you've ever been to a Napalm Death show or put on a Napalm Death album, you know that the intensity bleeds through out of Mark and the rest of the band in the music, in the lyrics, in the performance. You can't make music like that unless it's busting out of you. And it's the same for his activism. One of the things that I've always admired about Mark, and there are many, is how activism is like breathing to him. He is actively taking everything in, relating to everything, and thinking about everything. He is outspoken, but he mostly leads by example in his behavior and in his willingness to listen and talk with people about ideas. I get inspired every time we talk to embrace my own sense of humanity and activism. So we're going to talk about that humanity and the danger that occurs when we lose sight of it as human beings and as a society. So let's hear what Mark has to say. We are here with Mark Greenway, Barney of Napalm Death, who has been a uh, tremendous influence on me, tremendous influence on hardcore humanism. His commitment to humanity, his commitment to activism, his commitment to rights of animals, of people, really, really inspirational. And also, obviously, Napalm Death as a band has been wildly inspirational on me and many other people. So. Mark, thank you for being here. Let's start with what's happening in the world. And you've talked many times recently about this is a crisis of humanity. And let's talk about what you're seeing as a crisis of humanity right now. First of all, I'm a little bit reluctant in some respects to immediately jump onto politics because the one thing I've always done, at least tried to do to a greater extent, and even I slip up with this sometimes, is that what people don't understand sometimes, I don't think, is that human lives and other sentient lives as well are more important than politics. Because I think if you can't ensure the welfare of those things, then politics is meaningless. We may have spoken about this last time and I might have made that point. Politics will inevitably come into this because it's the way the world works right now. But I think it's important to understand the underlying issues. So I think that's Yes, absolutely, there is a crisis of humanity. Um, on a people level, because people have stuck in certain cultural standpoints, not everybody, but there is a certain percentage of the world population stuck, hooked on like cultural red lines, you know what I mean, that they won't cross. And, and that's problematic because then you prioritise the cultural aspects over the human being. So since me and you last spoke, let's be honest that, we could talk about specific incidents, but generally speaking, there are still a lot of people dying. There is still a massive migration in the world, which is not in itself a problem. Let's be really clear about that. The whole reason that the human race is as versatile and as dynamic as it is, is because of migration. And people fail to understand that sometimes. So I think it's not the migration in itself that's the problem. It's the perception of those that migrate. And then this is where the political sort of aspects come in because it can be argued that without imperialist 
actions for the last however many hundred years, then we necessarily wouldn't be in this position where people are wanting to get away because things that are rooted historically in, like I say, imperial actions and have then evolved to become issues of religion, issues of sectarianism, issues of all this different stuff. So that in itself is a problem. And then where the politics really does come in, I think is that like nationalism is big on the agenda right now. I mean, in all honesty, it's never gone away. And anybody that says it's the new thing, it's not new. It's always been there. Protectionism, nationalism to where certain interests, again, seem to have more priority than human beings as a general thing. So that's really problematic. And since we've been in this lockdown situation, there's been a lot of talk about It sounds like a bit of a cliche at this point, but the new normal. I don't know if that phrase has been adopted in the States at all, but we have people talk about this new normal. And the point behind it is, is that once we come out of this, everybody's going to be a lot more friendly. We're going to realise about the environment. So we're going to take absolute conscious steps to not turn things backwards again. Because, of course, since this lockdown has gone, a lot of land has been reclaimed, as species would. That will gravitate towards that which can benefit them. And that's been really good to see. I always try to be optimistic and realistic at the same time. I think with the nature of the get-ahead kind of mentality now, I just don't think that will hold. And I think we will go back to just things as they were before. And I hate to say that. It's not what I would wish to see. It was interesting that you used that term, the get ahead mentality, because one of the questions I was thinking as you were talking is, why would we cling to culture over people? In a way, it doesn't intuitively make sense that that would be a choice point. I agree completely. And this is the thing, because and I think it's very dangerous that that, that cultural aspects and cultural heritage is deeply protected in favour of human beings. And I don't think it should be. Let's take the current newsworthy. I'm not wishing to demean it when I say that, of course, because I'm completely on board, but the sort of Black Lives Matter thing. An argument is made about culture. But before that, it's got to be about human beings. If you have dark skin or you're of African origin, it's you as the human being that should be protected first and foremost the cultural stuff is kind of an afterthought we've seen what culture has done we've seen what the slave trade has done i mean people in this country in the uk a certain percentage of people are it makes them feel uncomfortable because people challenge the imagery of the slave trade i mean I try to understand people and I try to get under the skin of why people think the way they do. But to me, there are certain things that are indefensible. And I think that surely if we're talking about protecting humanity, the slave trade has to be one of them. So I would suggest that any cultural or heritage aspects connected to the slave trade. Yes, we don't forget about them, because if you don't preserve them in some form in museums in neutral places of observation like that if we don't do that then we forget about it and we run the risk of repeating the same mistakes in the future so i'm not saying they should be erased from the memory but they should be presented in such a way that people understand never again as was the thing that people were saying after the national socialists fell during their peak period during the 1930s 1940s so i think it's really important to say that I've spoken about it in Napalm Desolutes quite a few times. There are certain reference points to say, forget about this obsession with culture. It's what human beings do now and from here on in. You know, that's what really matters. And one of the things that you've talked about that could lead to that type of divide is when people fear. But what you're almost talking about now is, is almost fearing ourselves, because when we protect these things about ourselves that maybe historically weren't great or yeah. actually like really detrimental. It seems as though we're afraid of that part of ourselves that is ugly or was cruel or harsh. Yeah. I'm kind of curious your thoughts on what happens when we're afraid of ourselves and or afraid of other people, how that manifests in our humanity. That's a tough one. I don't think it's necessarily that we're afraid of ourselves, although there will be a certain that will be there somewhere. I think that we've been conditioned to think that 
our identity is going to slip away. We are going to lose some kind of relevance amongst the world as a group of nations, as it is split between cultures and heritage and stuff like that. That's what we've been conditioned to think. But speaking personally, I'm not scared of that because first and foremost, what I care about is other human beings. People say to me, well, you should be proud to be British. Well, why do I need to be? I like living here. I like the experience it gives me, but I've also enjoyed the myriad experiences I've had right across the world from the Netherlands to Nepal. You know what I mean? I've, I've seen it all. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff that that really made me step back at certain points. But that's what I want from life. I don't need a flag to represent me. This may be something we've spoken about before again, but I think this emphasis on symbols like flags is really to the detriment of human beings. It's something that as inanimate as that, basically, that it becomes the battering ram that we use against other. I just think that's ludicrous. I really do. I just find it ridiculous, actually. (laughs) Well, that's interesting, that concept, because you do see in many cases people mistreating others under the flag, if you will, of a symbol. And again, like what happens there from your perspective? Because again, that's a very odd dynamic that you would have a problem with a human being based on an inanimate object. I just think flags are, they are inanimate objects, but obviously they have historical meaning to a lot of people and historical importance to a lot of people. But the flag in itself you can't alleviate hunger with a flag. You know what I mean? You cannot stop somebody dropping a hundred pound bomb on a school bus with a flag. You can't prevent all these fundamentals that have been plaguing us for hundreds of years now. This kind of inability to understand that all human beings are important. And just because somebody lives like three continents away and appears to be expendable, basically fulfills in some countries fulfills the kind of need for cheap consumer objects for more wealthy countries. I think it's really problematic. And I think flags can do that. That brings us into something that we definitely said we would talk about next time, which was the concept of and the misconceptions of anarchy. And that's something that we only touched on last couple of times that we spoke. But maybe this is a good segue into what your ideas are on that and what people's misconceptions are about what that term means, at least to you. Yeah. To me, I mean, there are many different uh, strains of anarchism. It's not one thing, which is actually quite humorous when you think about it because it's like obviously the whole point of anarchy is not to be governed and you are your own god basically so but there are still different factions of it you know (laughs) it's quite amusing but also it kind of makes sense in another way i mean i'm all about peaceful anarchism there are a lot of people who advocate for revolutionary anarchism with forceful means for me the very troublesome part of that is then you're encouraging conflict again and surely if if Government to a large degree has inspired and carried conflicts up until this point. Why do you want to repeat the same thing? Surely, for me, one of the things that underpins anarchism is is to achieve a world where everybody can live with dignity and equality and such like, to where we understand that we don't need to take up arms against each other anymore. That should be completely a thing of the past. And then to sort of go beyond that a little bit, my sort of vision of it, Some might call me naive for thinking like this, but this has always been something that's sat in my head. So I'm thinking about in terms of governments that we've got around the world right now. And this is where I struggle a little bit because I've always been I couldn't deny that I've always kind of been a person of the left. Those principles have always sort of carried me through. It's how I've made my different turns in life. I've I've always valued those quite highly. But in another sense, it could be argued that. Well, governments are all more or less the same. You might be able to give me some facts and figures on this, but I, it would be interesting to know what the representation split is for people in the world. In other words, how many people on this earth don't have representation by their government in terms of how things affect them, what they get from it, and all the rest of it? You've talked a lot about the concept and the power of community in the context of anarchy. How would that develop differently in that kind of a model? 
To be honest, that's a variable. You know, Michael, I can't actually tell you what that would be because obviously the one thing you can't escape is it's going to take a while to get rid of those old mental habits based upon governmental systems that we may have had up until whichever point it is if we ever get to this system that we're talking about or non-system if you want to call it that you have to kind of allow for human nature i can't say at this point i'm hoping i think you can be hopeful there's nothing wrong with that i'm hoping that it would show people that they have more value that they have more worth and in turn that would then encourage people to be more cooperative within a community system nothing is perfect you're never going to achieve perfection but could be argued that things do need to be a little bit different because i think that the world's population right now there is quite the percentage that is still subject to exploitation still doesn't know whether it's going to be able to wake up and know whether it's guaranteed to get a meal it's still under the threat of waking up in the morning and not knowing is if you'll actually survive the day or not you know what i mean so there's all these different things that might suggest that a different path might be possible and and one of the things that you've talked about recently is is activism as a lifelong process one of the things that that i always find kind of interesting is how much of people's activism if you will needs to be directed politically in order to make change in the system and not necessarily at the expense of, but people only have so much time in their lives at the expense of more direct activism at times. Obviously there's plenty of people who do both, but I'm kind of curious from your perspective, how you, over the course of your lifetime, like how do you balance those two things, like doing things direct versus political? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. So I just want to rewind just a little bit because I I also want to state that obviously I'm part of the system right now. I operate in a band and certain things have to be run in the system now. So I'm not actually moving forwards myself. I'm not moving it forwards, really, you could say, to any significant extent. My ideas are definitely there, but I'm not I'm not moving it forward. So what I'm not trying to do is sit on a pedestal and say, look, this is what we need to do because I'm as part of the system as anybody else. You know what I mean? So I just do want to make that clear. I understand that completely and I know that. And I'm I'm not beating myself up about that, but that is fact. And I wouldn't deny that. Sorry to digress, but like moving on to the the activism side. Again, I do seem to remember this is something we spoke about. But see, I'm not demeaning anybody when I say this at all, but I'm just giving perspective as it relates to me. So activism to me wasn't like a coat that you hang on a coat hanger. It's not something that I, oh, I'm an activist today and I put my jacket on. It's not like that. Basically, whichever situation presents itself to me in life, my activism, if you like, like sort of will funnel through that basically. So I will react to it. I will act upon it as my principles dictate in what I consider to be ethically the right thing to do. So it's a constant thing for me and a constantly evolving thing as well. So how can I sort of compare this? I guess just a basic act of getting up in the morning. You don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the day. You go through things as you would. I don't want to say necessarily on autopilot, but the days as the day pans out, therefore any activism for me runs parallel to that day. It's not even a separate part. It's part of my very sort of way of approaching things, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that it's something that's very tough for people because at any given moment of any day, there are atrocities happening around us, maybe not right in front of us, but five miles away even. It is tough to know how much do you make sure you take care of yourself, take care of your family versus then stepping out to help other people? The way that you're describing it, it kind of feels like, look, do your thing, but always be ready. Because let's be honest, changes have to happen from the root, not from the top of the tree. That's how things happen. So talking about this collective thinking, obviously, if you approach certain really harsh aspects of life going into it, with a mindset that you're going to contribute to not letting this happen. I would suggest it will work a lot better if you're proactive rather than reactive. And of course, it doesn't work that way with everything because something's going to happen like a bomb going off. You don't know that bomb's going to go off necessarily. It just happens and then you have to react. So yeah, for sure, there's there's two different things there. But I think sometimes we could resolve or achieve a lot more if we already were prepared. 
one of the things that that I want to talk a little bit about, and obviously we've we've talked about this before, is the parallel with humanity and humanity as it applies to animals, which is obviously a, a big cause for you. And I'm kind of curious because one of the things that I'm noticing now is how much the different causes that people may have or may feel like they want to engage in as far as activism don't necessarily line up. I see online people who are vegan who aren't necessarily supporting Black Lives Matters. You know, maybe there's somebody who's supporting one cause but not supporting anti-Semitism is another cause that's not supporting LGBTQ rights. I guess one of the things I'm wondering about is how do you handle it when you're aligned with someone on one thing, but yeah. then you're so off on something else? I really don't think there's much you can really do about that. It's things like that where you have to just allow for the converging and diverging of human beings. I'll give you an example. I was vegetarian since I was 14 years old. I turned vegan later on. But I've always been very, very pro-choice in terms of reproductive rights, like really, really pro-choice. I don't think that anybody has the right to interfere in somebody's body. But there is a certain section of the animal rights movement that were anti-abortion because they just equated that death of an animal, which with the abortion of a fetus, the animal is treated as a second class citizen and doesn't have a choice with reproductive issues. That collection of cells and then a forming baby later on, that is part of the mother's body, you know, and the mother has the right to choose. So there is a element of self-determination in that whereas with animals it's different and I, I did have this conversation many times with a few people but it didn't come across it wasn't accepted it's at that point that you can't go any further you just have to work with what you've got I totally understand what you're saying unfortunately it's something that you can't have a solution for because life is complex notice I call them that rather than causes and issues because I think causes and issues can be separated out onto the periphery too much they are as much as part of life as anything else I don't separate them out in the end you just have to sometimes respect other people's differences and then obviously act on and towards and for what you think is the right way to go Unfortunately, that creates a lot of conflict yeah it does because i feel like in some ways very prominent for people now is what happens when something becomes what they feel like is a moral issue it's no yeah. longer well we can have a difference of opinions it's yeah. i now question your humanity if you yeah. will yeah. and i'm kind of curious from your perspective how do you handle that because i think a lot of people right now i mean even what you're talking about about the woman's right to choose. There are some yeah. people who feel like, well, that's killing a child. And how can you necessarily continue a relationship with someone who would support that? And then there's people like you, and I think like me, who support a woman's right to choose and yeah. sort of say, well, how can you deny that? And it's all of a sudden, like, how do we stay connected if there's this thing that we really, really believe is like a deep part of our sense of morality? And again, I know this is something which I'm really uncomfortable with the concept of morality. I think it's a tricky one for me, you know, because I always find it really difficult to explain this. But it kind of has a certain ethereal elitism to it, you know what I mean? Can I tell you, as soon as I said it, it actually yeah. feels like the equivalent of a flag. Yeah. It's almost like when I said it, it's like, okay, now it's like I have this morality. Like this is my projected yeah. kind of image of myself. And if you violate that, yeah. it's like I've it's like in a way, like now I've given up my not my humanity, because that's that's too strong of a term, but sort of yeah. like that. One very real thing about morality that really troubles me is that of course it has a strong basis in religious belief and outcome. Whilst I completely appreciate and respect people's right to believe in what they wish to believe when it becomes part of civic society it's very problematic to me i don't mean to overstate it but it scares me you know what i mean i mean on a basic level i think that the whole idea of running civic mechanisms on something that's based on mythology to me is absurd that connection i think to religion really kind of makes me feel uncomfortable you know so i never claim that something has a moral superiority over so i don't bring it into my 
vocabulary or my practice when I do deal with things. Yeah, in, in a way, it feels to a large degree like some of these different things, like whether it's the symbol of something or the morality or any of these country, it all seems like things that are on the one hand, they help guide us on one level, sort of. And then on the other hand, it kind of chains us a little bit. And then yeah. we can't interact with people with the same Absolutely freedom. Absolutely hit the nail on the head. Absolutely hit the nail on the head. And Michael, this is exactly why I am almost deliberately the way I am in some respects. Because what I want from life is I want to be able to take every human being as a human being on physical and mental connection. I don't want to judge people by any other standard. That's how I want to deal with them, interact with them, if you will. The whole sort of proud to be British thing, the whole sort of, oh, you've got to stand up for the flag and national anthem. No, I don't. Why should I? For one thing, I don't believe in the monarchic system. Why should I stand up for something that I don't think is particularly great for the human beings that live in this country? It doesn't benefit them. So, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to be restricted by that stuff. I want to be free and able to breathe and not strangled by this stuff. You know what I mean? Now, now, when you talk about that, would you call that, is that a principle? Is that a purpose? Is that just, that's just Mark? How do you conceptualize lungs, that? I'm going to use a little strange thing. It's the lungs of existence to me. I mean, I think I spoke about breathing in there. And again, I hope this doesn't sound like egotistical or anything like that. It's not meant to at all. I'm just really trying to personalize it to me. So when I walk out of my, where I live in the morning, I take my bike out or whatever my bicycle and I go out, I go down to the beachfront and I ride around. You know, sometimes I, I think about this stuff and I think to myself, you know what? I'm here right now. Or even when I go back home, I'm here and I'm free within myself. I am free because I'm not restricted by any kind of dictatorial kind of methodology, you know, that I have to, that's going to defend me. I don't have to do that. I can treat other human beings. I can interact with other human beings, etc., as I wish. So I don't feel any pressures to conform to any of that stuff. And that's really liberating. I can sense a lot of people rolling their eyes at this, but it's like, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, sure. I go through things in life like everybody else where I have down times. I have times where I doubt certain things about myself, about other things outside of me. But at least I've got a bit of a, a boost off by feeling that I have a certain freedom. Some of the things that we're talking about here are freedom from things that are potentially harmful. People who are more authoritarian or belief systems that are not congruent. But what about when there's something that you do embrace? You're part of Napalm Death. You're the, the yeah. lead vocalist of Napalm Death. That is, there's so much that goes into that that's beyond just the moments writing the songs and playing. I sure. mean, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol, it's an idea, it's a machine. Sure. One of the things I would wonder about is what happens when there is something that you love in theory? Yeah. Do you risk losing freedom by being a part of that? Uh, I don't think so, because none of the things that I do, although feel free to pick me up on this, if you can like see any holes in it, but none of the things that I believe that I do are rooted in the kind of the things that we've just been talking about. For example, I don't need to justify my Britishness. Whilst I am an advocate for sentient beings being treated with dignity and respect and not killed for our for our vanity or, or whatever else. I also understand that the process of that is it's a long road. It still is a long road even now since veganism became very in the public consciousness. I also understand that the way that we're going to achieve that is almost a softly, softly approach because the problem is if you use very aggressive tactics in that, history has told us that a lot of people that could be sort of brought down that path really kind of turned off by it. it's a difficult one. I mean, I'm I'm all for the sort of sabotage side of things because I think that's quite neutral in itself, you know. But I think the more violent aspects of it can be tricky, can be problematic. When I embrace something, 
the things that I embrace don't have, I believe, a detrimental effect on other people by me promoting them. I don't know if we ever spoke about this, but on that point, when we talked last time and it was you and me and then Buzz from the Melvins and I, we were at yeah. the show in New York City. And yeah. I don't know if you were on stage or if the Melvins were on stage, but I, I remember this so distinctly. I was sitting up a little bit higher. I'm looking down at the pit and everybody's going nuts. And then all of a sudden it seems like at like as if everybody like was somehow connected, everybody stopped and took out their phones. And I'm like, what's going on? Everyone's like flashing lights. And then all of a sudden you see from the floor, someone pick up a pair of glasses yeah. and give a thumbs up. And yeah. then everybody give a thumbs up and then everybody went crazy again. Yeah. It was this amazing juxtaposition of, you know, talking about things like violence of what people think of when they think of metal versus mm. what just seemed to be this like kind of connected human vibe in the yeah. middle of this pit. Yeah. The thing is, is that it's not down to me. This is, I'll just, I'll just say also that don't forget, we've always gone to great lengths to remind people that just because you go to a gig and you can dance hard because we don't put restrictions on that. That doesn't mean to say you have to physically assault other people that are in the same environment as you, basically. So we've always promoted that understanding. And it wasn't just down to us. The people that come along have also brought that to the table as well. So everything's kind of clicked into place with that, basically. So it works definitely in that respect the old stereotype of i mean metal's a very narrow categorization i would suggest that napalm is a lot more than that it's feet in many different genres it does go pretty well of course we have isolated incidents of people lashing out and stuff like that sometimes for no discernible reason other than they just think oh yeah i'm going to be really macho and just like try and take somebody out it's like not really you know it's like not really the way the way to go it's interesting because there's two contradictory things to say about this generally is that all scenes of music are whether it be just give you some examples of scenes like metal hardcore punk the noise scene alternative music which are kind of the four pillars of napalm death really you could say all those scenes at one point or another were painted as oh scary violent almost inhumane when people on the outside comment on them sometimes you get that and it's actually based upon my experience most of the time it's not like that at all that's for one thing but on the other hand let's not kid ourselves all these scenes are when you go to it's just a microcosm of what's going on outside the doors it's no better it's no lesser than anything else it's the same thing music scenes do suffer from that sometimes they are very important but sometimes they have a sense of self-importance we're like very knowledgeable about this and that we are so we must be better than what's like the representation of what this is on the outside no no you're not any better neither are you worth any less you are the same it's just that you have the opportunity to control your environment in a certain way by actually being enjoying the atmosphere dance hard but be mindful be protective of others and of yourself it is an interesting phenomenon that occurs sometimes when when people come to certain forms of art that are incendiary that are confrontational and yeah. they love it this is to a degree i think what i was almost asking about with napalm death and you it's like it's so tempting then to be like well give it to me again you know what yeah. i mean like do scum 20 times I'm curious from your perspective, you could make the argument there are some bands, there are some artists of different kinds who, who do that. They kind of yeah. say, listen, I don't mind that. But I'm kind of curious from your perspective if you've struggled with that at all. I mean, can I first say that napalm in itself is a complete paradox? It's a complete contradiction. And again, I hate to sound pretentious about this, but I'm into the art of music. I don't consider napalm to be just a band in the sense that, to me, it's an art form and every aspect of it has got to be up to a standard of what I want from it and of what the guys that make the decisions in Napalm would, would want from it. So therefore, when you see the end results of that, it's a complete paradox because let's be honest, Napalm Death's 
record sleeves, general imagery is incredibly violent. You know what I mean? It's it really is. But it's not promoting violence. It's actually demonstrating violence of what is feasible and what is possible on this earth right now. Not always in literal form, sometimes in very figurative form, sometimes with a bit of pathos, sometimes with a bit of humour, hopefully. On the other side of that fence, I, of course, would go to great lengths to explain, look, what napalm is about is humanity, uh, as we've been talking about all along, peace, tolerance, connectivity with other human beings, an end to conflict, an end to war, an end to the arms trade, a meal for everybody, well, more than a meal for everybody every day, taking down the food mountains and actually distributing the food, redistribution of wealth, non-exploitation of resources. So there's a complete paradox between the two sides of the band. So that's fantastic. Coming back to the point of, sorry, I, I know I bloody digress all over the place sometimes, but... Um, I love it. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. Keep going. yeah, but the thing is, is that with Napalm itself, yes, we do get that. We'll put Play You Suffer, which is, I think, like 20 times, you know, the one second song. But like to us, we also like the improvisational side as, as much as you can in, in an organised gig. So, no, we don't do it 20 times. We do it once because... When it comes once, it's the element of surprise. You might do it once in a while just for humour's sake. If the timing is right, you know, you might just oh, do it again, just off the cuff. For the most part, why? Because it's predictable. Then it becomes art on demand, which is not not what we are, I would suggest. People might disagree with that, but Napalm's fluid. It's spontaneous. The music's very spontaneous. I like that. I really get a kick out of that. I don't like staged. I like to avoid production line kind of execution of things. Yeah, I mean. To me, the way I see it, I'd be curious your thoughts on. I'll give you an example. Like I remember when I was younger, I I was at a a bar with a bunch of friends and one of the guys basically picked a fight with a bunch of other people. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, what? We have 10 guys here. I was like, yeah, we have 10 guys that you're responsible to, not 10 guys who are here for your bidding. And I feel like what happens sometimes when people talk about, oh, I want less politics, I want less government. It's like, okay, but if that's going to be the case and you're going to, then you have to take the responsibility or we have to take the responsibility for what's going on in society. So to me, what I feel like flows through napalm is by putting those those shocking images and when we talked about apex predator it's like okay if you don't want government involved okay so what are we going to do about the fact that the planet is burning what are we going to do about the fact that we could feed everybody if we didn't have animal agriculture so from my perspective what napalm is doing is is relatively consistent as opposed to a paradox because it's saying listen we're going to look at humanity but we're going to look at the whole thing and you know what looking at the whole thing it's like you want to be free. There's some very uncomfortable truths that we have to deal with. Yeah, for sure. And this is what, what we were kind of talking about earlier on, because you have to legislate for human nature as it is with all of its flaws and all of its its good things. And this is where the trickiness comes again, going back to when we talk about anarchy and stuff. That's one reason why I don't think revolutionary anarchism is a good thing is because then people are just going to be encouraged to well if we can be revolutionary and we can forge a path with violence and perhaps guns or other methods then why shouldn't we just do it to our next door neighbor and then we can take his allocation of stuff you're actually reversing it on itself the whole idea of becoming liberated and becoming free as a human being in the first place i would suggest let me just kind of go back a little bit Now you are Mark Greenway in bold letters, whether you want that or not. And there's a little bit of of an iconic feel. But you didn't know you were going to be this person to a certain extent. And, And I hate to say it this way because I know you don't believe in this and I don't even really believe in this. But you've kind of got the societal stamp of approval to an extent, right? You're in this iconic band and, and things are, to a certain degree, have quote unquote worked out for you, if you, if you yeah. want to say that, at least in, in people's eyes. Yeah. How did you know before any of that? It would have been so easy to not take these roads. Like, How did you sure. choose to do that? 
Well, I think it was just a matter of circumstances and just being in the right place at the right time, as the classic saying goes. I didn't have any plans, Michael. And this is the thing. This is why I'm very kind of philosophical and easygoing about Napalm Death Jam. I'm very determined and very strict, is perhaps too strong a word, in the way Napalm operates, basically, from an ethical and artistic point of view. But... I'm also very philosophical and easygoing about it because I, I never intended to do this. I didn't need that focus. I understand the dynamics of being in a band. And yeah, I mean, in your question, you was, oh, I, might, I know you might not believe in it, but yeah, I don't. But I also understand the dynamics. It just kind of happened. I was working in engineering before I did this. I, I worked in the car industry. Birmingham is very much like a Detroit in that a lot of the big car companies are all uh, centered around there. Some of them have their main plants for Europe, if not the world in Birmingham. So people do tend, not so much these days, but back then in the 80s and 90s, there's a good chance you would fall into that industry. So I was doing my apprenticeship through that and it just happened. I was a music enthusiast, a music fan. I was also at that point very on board with the loosely speaking, political side of it, animal rights, women's rights, very left-leaning principles, but also free-thinking at the same time, that anarcho-syndicalism, which we haven't mentioned that. I was very much into all that stuff combined. So Napalm just came along, really. I mean, I was friends with the guys, with Mickey and Shay, all, all the guys, actually, at that point. And I was just doing a couple of things on the side bands they were not really very serious they were kind of weekend bands if you want to call them that but then mickey and shane who were still in the band when the lee and bill left the vocalist and the guitarist they saw what i could do they were friends with me anyway and so they invited me on board so i just i, I did come to a little crossroads there where i kind of thought to myself do i really want to do this this is going to be hard this is going to be really testing for a while like certainly for me in terms of keeping myself alive basically because it was rough i'm certainly not going to cry about anything michael it was rough i mean it really was i mean i'm not joking it was like living on peanut butter on toast at that point it was it was rough but i just fell into it i decided look i'm going to do this and even if it only lasts for a couple of years and i've got stories to tell after this i'm good with that i'll just pick up where i left off hopefully with my engineering stuff or if i do something else 30 years later or 31 years later here i am i always maintain that kind of determination look at one point i thought it was going to be two three years and then once that three-year thing came up without me knowing it i was like yeah let's hold on to this it seems good it's got substance it's got meaning it's got a purpose and i want to drive it forward not just me the other guys in the band of course it's a team effort so it had a, a real sense of purpose to me and and to be honest michael that above most things is what's kept me going is that sense of purpose one thing for me in life that I feel that I need is a sense of purpose. I can't do stuff like a production line. I can't do things on a day-to-day -day basis that I know are just going to allow whatever I do just to slot into the, the sort of hamster wheel, to run on the hamster wheel all day. That, to me, isn't purpose, what I would consider purpose, at least, anyway. You guys have a new album. Tell me about the new album. It is Apex Predator, you could say, and it is... God, whatever album comes before that, I can't even remember at this point, all those albums, Utilitarian, Cody's Red Smear Campaign. If you take those as like a staircase upwards, that's really what the new album is. It's just basically what I consider to be our improvements as a band in amalgamating the different styles. So as we were talking about earlier on, metal, punk, hardcore punk, alternative music noise music better like fusings of those styles so rather than having oh you've got this part that's one style and that part that's one style or this song that's one style and this song's the other style we've sort of honed things to the point where now things are fusing really well to my ears at least that's what the new album is it's another step on from apex predator one thing i would say is that hopefully we have explored a little bit more of the sound spectrum because there's a lot of it that isn't really used that much. And we do try where we can to look at, like, let's just not do that, which 
every album has that particular production technique or, or this certain thing. We're trying to look beyond that. And yeah, for sure, we're not by any stretch of the imagination the first band to do that. I mean, you can go back through time and look at some of the industrial bands like Einstein, Sender Neubarten, you know, who are using like road drills and angle grinders and stuff like that. So we're trying to work a little bit of that in there that sort of stuff without just trying to mimic other bands. We're trying to do our own spin on things. So that's, that's where it is. Basically that's where we are. From a lyric perspective, is it the same basic ideas or is there anything that's new? I can give you that certainly. So the overarching theme really, and bear in mind there's lots and lots of sub themes around this is the whole fact of how we treat quote unquote the other or what we perceive to be the other. Obviously my beginning point is that there is no other. We are all effectively flesh and blood and we are all the same and we do have the capacity to treat each other the same. So it's about that and it's about suspicion. Talking about the negative sides of that, it's about suspicion, paranoia, the willingness sometimes to tread on people who you think are your lessers, the acceptance of excluding people beyond walls just because of what they might look like or what you might perceive them to be, denying them access to dignity, livelihood, food, this most basic level sometimes. This whole separation of humanity where some people are credible and some people are worthy of more merit than other people, simply because it comes down to the perception of who or what the other is. So that's a basic take on it. Yeah, and it's so interesting that once that is present, the idea that some people are better than others for whatever, the the competition has to be fierce. If that is the system, I mean, you don't want to be on the bottom rung of that. You really do not. And, And I guess that idea, again, like what if that were not true? What kind of assumptions would people make about interacting with others? Would there be such a thing as would I have just used the term others? Exactly. It's also, from my side of things, perhaps a sense of being flabbergasted sometimes. Frustration. People feel threatened, sometimes by biological aspects of other human beings. They feel threatened. They feel their identity, their existence is threatened, which couldn't be further from the truth, actually. If they attempted to bring the shutters up, pull the shutters up and actually attempt to connect with other human beings. I mean, aspects of biology that could never be a threat to other people in a million years. Still, there's this real toxic retardation of people sometimes. And it's interesting because my wife will make fun of me a lot because when I was younger and I saw people like in high school who were all dressed in black and all had tattoos and piercings and, and everything, I would be kind of instinctively a little bit afraid. Be like, oh, oh what's that? I got my button-down shirt and my yeah. khakis and my loafers. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. And now it's the opposite. Whenever I see somebody who kind of has those particular characteristics, my wife will be like, okay, do you want to go talk to them? I was like, yeah, I kind of do. That lesson for me was very powerful because it it made me realize like how much of my life did I go missing out because yeah, I had yeah, this concept yeah. of another. Yeah. I like to think that I'm catching up now a little bit, but I look back and I think, man, like I, I kind of wonder what kind of like cool things could have happened if I wasn't yeah, like that. Sure. It goes deeper than that even. I don't know about you, Michael, but and this makes me sad. I try to be objective and serious because I think that's the best way to deal with things is try and restrict the emotions a little bit sometimes even though things frustrating do make you sad but it's like i see people on the streets sometimes like somebody of clearly of asian or african-american or black origin would walk down the street in the morning and talk to somebody again this of course this is not everybody but there is still that thing where people almost look around to say i probably shouldn't be seen speaking to this person because it's like a weakness or something it's like You can see sometimes this happening and you just think to yourself, are we really still at this point within ourselves that we have to react that way? And also someone comes down the street with a disability and is is very outgoing, wants to interact with people that are on the street. Do you need to recoil 
in that situation. There's no threat mechanic there. It is actually a kind of a natural embrace to somebody that is coming into somebody's line of vision or path. It's the same with homeless people. There's no reason to be intimidated by someone that's homeless. You're not going to be stigmatized by the rest of society. If a homeless person speaks to you or you speak to them, you reach out to them when you walk past and you you have a conversation with them. How's it going? What do you need? What's on your mind? Speak to me. There's all kinds of stuff within this whole spectrum that I'm talking about, you know, that I do find pretty sad sometimes. Yeah, no, I mean, what you're talking about, I don't know who it was, but there was this guy, I guess, who talked about he did this one thing each day. He made a bed. He made his bed. He just focused on that. And then like he saw over time, like all these other habits developing. What you're talking about, I feel like to a degree is just like, what would it be like just to turn towards rather than away from someone? Just that little, that one maneuver to just say, oh, I'm not going to turn away from this person and then build on that. Like, where does that go? You know, what kind of opportunities come from that? Yeah, yeah. And it's without, again, to try and say that I have confidence in myself as well. I think there's also that to consider, which I wouldn't criticize people for. So self-confidence in the person that's been approached can also be a factor. And we shouldn't push that to one side. There is definitely that. But I think there is still this bigger aspect of not wishing to be seen as part of the excluded almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting dynamic and an unfortunate one sometimes. Any final thoughts? Hopefully, obviously, we're still in lockdown. The UK was hit pretty bad. And the only thing I would say is there's this drive towards sort of economic uplift. But the thing is, and this is not necessarily a psychological argument, but the thing is, is if we don't make sure that things are stable, we're going to be back to the same thing. So people really need to think about that before they go rushing into, yeah, we've got to go around the shops and we've got to buy everything that's possible to buy and must do it now, must do it now, because I haven't done it for eight weeks. It's like there's people out there that don't have the opportunity to go out of their houses because they're still shielding. My parents being one, they're stuck at home because they both have very chronic diseases. They cannot leave the house at the moment. So I would say, obviously, one of the undercurrencies conversations about understanding humanity and i would suggest this is a good time to try and understand that particular aspect of it mark every time we talk i get more inspired so thank (laughs) you thank you so much i hope we get a chance to talk again soon anytime mate yeah best of luck with the album and say hi to everybody in the band okay will do man all right man take care all the best michael you too so there you have it Mark Greenway of Napalm Death talking about how we need to embrace humanity now more than ever. And he talks about the factors that may help us embrace humanity, finding a creative venture like music or engaging in and embracing community systems. And he also talked about some of the things that might interfere with our humanity, such as when we value connection to symbols or political systems rather than people. His goal and our goal at Hardcore Humanism is not to preach and tell anyone how to live their life just to present some things to consider and options as we embrace our own humanity and purpose. The Hardcore Humanism podcast is produced by my wonderful wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, and the music is by my brothers in Odd Zero. Thanks so much, guys. If you like what you hear in the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app and give us a rating and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism therapy and coaching program at hardcorehumanism.com. So get at it, hardcore humans. See you next time.